Well, good morning to you all. And uh, it is great to be gathered as the church, isn't it? Online, in person, how good is it to be gathered as the church? This morning, this morning, it's exciting because, uh, well, sometimes I hate this. Sometimes I hate learning hard lessons. And I want to encourage you because I've actually had the chance to learn a few hard lessons in my life. It might not seem like it, but, but I have. Um, one of the lessons that I have learned is if you have a car and it looks like a police car and you put blue lights in the headlights, it's frowned upon. In fact, the police don't like that at all. That was one of the lessons that I learned personally. It's bad. In fact, those blue lights in the front often seem like blue and red lights in the rear vision mirror. One of the hard lessons that I've learned is that sometimes my choices can have consequences. In fact, in all things, our choices have consequences, whether good, bad, or indifferent. And uh, one of the things that I've also learned, perhaps a hard lesson, is that life isn't fair, particularly as a middle child. So the oldest, you know, usually the oldest one, they're all good because they play the card, but the youngest gets everything, which is true, right? Then the, then the oldest one goes, well, hang on a second, they've got everything. And so maybe, maybe in my case only, they then get some love. But where does that leave the middle child? I'm okay. It's all right. One of the other things that I've learned uh, after 10 years of marriage, this is, I've got to be careful, right? <laughs> Learn a lot of things in 10 years of marriage, but one of the things is that fine does not always mean fine. <laughs> but when it comes to, to us and when it comes to, to learning some lessons for us, right, sometimes God gives us what we need and we go through a season where we go, you know what, I know what I'm doing. I've got this. And we need to go through some things and experience some stuff that we would learn lessons. And often it's a hard lesson that we learn, but eventually we understand God's goodness and God's faithfulness and the way that He works in trying to bring the best for us. Do you agree? So I want to recap for us some events that have happened in the past few weeks here as we've been preaching through our Genesis series, uh, some stuff that might help us frame a mindset for this morning's message. The first thing is that Esau, well, he sells his birthright to Jacob for a meal. Okay, so Esau goes out hunting uh, unsuccessfully. That's been my experience as well. Unsccessfully goes out hunting, uh, comes back on death's doorstep, super hungry, got nothing to eat. And instead of uh, dying, which is one option, he takes the option of uh, sucking up to his brother and getting some food. So he sells his birthright to enable life. Okay. Then we move on. And Jacob steals Esau's blessing. Okay, so Isaac is on death's doorstep, his father, and then we get to this stage and Esau goes out to go hunting for the wild game that his father likes. And in the interim, uh, Rebecca invites uh, Jacob to come into that space 
prepares a meal and Jacob steals the blessing from his father out from underneath Esau, who's still out hunting. All right? And then as a result, you can imagine that there's a little bit of angst that has taken place in here. And so Jacob, uh, under instruction from his mother, goes off and he flees to Paddan Aram, which is where uh, Rebekah's brother Laban lives. And he goes off and he flees to there. And then he marries Leah. Well, I guess it was accidentally. I put that up there because he wasn't expecting to marry Leah. He went and worked for Laban. And after seven years, the deal was that he would get Rachel as his wife, but that didn't happen. There's a little switcheroo that happened at the last minute there. And so he marries Leah. Fast forward another seven years of work and he earns the right to marry Rachel, the one that he was in love with at the time when he anticipated and expected to marry Leah. Now in this time, Jacob becomes quite prosperous and under Laban, Laban, everything that Jacob touches seems to turn to gold. It seems to go really, really well. He becomes rich and and almost, almost famous, if you will. But he realizes that Laban is is perhaps a bit of a tough taskmaster. And so having this realization, he separates out some flocks and then he starts to flee with Laban's daughters. Uh, He flees Laban, and this is where we find ourselves today. He flees Laban. Laban catches up with him. There's an exchange, and then Laban and uh, Jacob come to an agreement that they would effectively separate on good terms and that God in that moment uh, would bless them as they separated and parted ways. And so Jacob, having fleed Laban, where does he go? Where does he go? Well, he sets out on this journey for Edom. Now, Edom in the original language, in the Hebrew language, means red. Red like the colour of Esau's hair. Red like the environment in which Esau hunted. In fact, this was Esau's residence. This was Esau's property and territory. And this is where Jacob decides to flee towards. And in that moment, after spending 20 years away from Esau, Jacob is now preparing to meet Esau. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you. God, I thank you that you are the God of history, that you are the God of today, and that you are the God of the future. And that you see all things and know all things and understand all things. And so God, this morning, as we look at this passage, as we journey through this, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, that we might gain an insight into more of who you are, the way that you call us to be and to live. And God, even this morning, I pray that you might bring healing to us, to our hearts, to our minds, to our souls, as we journey through this particular section. 
of the passage in Genesis. Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 20 years. You know, they say that that time heals all wounds, but I would question, does time actually heal all of the wounds? In Genesis 27, verses 39 to 40, it says, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's riches, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off your neck. This is a blessing. Blessing? This is a blessing that Isaac gives to Esau. You might recall Jacob got the proper blessing. There wasn't much left for Esau. That's an interesting blessing. It goes on in verse 41, and it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. 20 years. 20 years since Jacob stole everything from Esau, his birthright, his blessing. 20 years since that blessing was received and started to come to fruition in Jacob's life, the prosperity, the children, the great nation. 20 years since Jacob followed the advice from his mother and father to go and to not take a wife from the people, but to go back to his family line to take a wife. Something that Esau didn't do that went against what God had instructed and against what his parents' wishes were. So if anybody, if anybody has a reason to be filled with hate, to, be, to hold on to a grudge, it's Esau, right? I'd take that pretty hard. And yet Jacob is now heading to Edom, to Esau's land. So what's going to happen? It's interesting because everything is changed. Everything has changed for Jacob. So he's gone through a season. His, his heart has changed. His motive for doing what he was doing has changed. His his life, the trajectory of his life has completely changed. But ultimately his relationship with God has changed. Instead of being hunted by Esau, who he had taken everything from, Jacob, is now making a conscious decision to walk into 
whatever this situation may hold. He doesn't know what's going to happen. But in Genesis 32, verses 3 to 7, we get the start of this story. And it says this, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained here till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I might find favour in your eyes. Has anyone ever been in that situation, right, where somebody has wronged you so much that even just hearing from them would start that boiling of your blood once again? (laughs) I get the feeling like this might have just reopened an old wound perhaps in Jacob's life. And so Jacob does something, right? When the messages returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you with 400 men who are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. This was supposed to be like the family reunion. And yet Esau is like, hang on, I'll just get 400 of my strongest, fittest warrior type men and we'll take them and we'll go show him who's boss. I remember the last time that these guys saw each other was when that message was sent that Jacob, that Esau, sorry, was going to kill his brother. Jacob was fearful. I think rightly so. But the thing is, when we are fearful, we start to do irrational things. We don't do the things that we would normally do, we start to make different types of decisions. Billy Graham says this, he says, fear can paralyze us and keep us from believing God and stepping out in faith. The devil loves a fearful Christian. The devil loves a fearful Christian. Despite the blessing that Jacob had, despite God's promise to him through that blessing, it seems to me like Jacob didn't have the faith that God will get him through this situation and move forward. I wonder if we're a bit like that is sometimes it just seems like there are obstacles, there are things going on in our life, there are problems that are just insurpassable, mountains that are insurmountable, things going on in our life that just stop us from moving forward, that paralyze us and keep us from believing in God and stepping out in faith. It 
It's interesting because Jacob, even having the blessing of the Lord on him, makes a decision to do something. Splits what he has in two. It's like he's hedging his bets, right? If one half of them gets killed off, the others are free to flee. It feels like a very human response to a problem that is bigger than human problem. That despite the promise, he was paralyzed and he couldn't step out in faith, grasping the promise that God had given to him. Because fear does weird things. It's kind of like a natural thing, but it impacts our physical health when we are fearful. It impairs our memory. It interrupts our brain processing and the reactivity that we have to certain things. And it can affect our mental health dramatically. We have to look at statistics from the last couple of years of the pandemic to realise that we are now in a real struggle because of fear. Not just our own fear, but the fear in the world. Fear, it's, it's natural though. It's kind of like, you know, when, you, when you're asked to put your hand in a saucepan of hot water and it's not even hot, but you're still hesitant our mind starts playing tricks on us. And what it does is it, it shuts down our bodily functions that are unnecessary for survival. But it also heightens our survival instincts. So it might shut down our digestive system, having a physical effect on us. And then our brain doesn't seem to get all the nutrients and everything that it needs to function properly. So our memory is impaired. Our brains can't do what they're supposed to be doing. On the other side, it heightens our senses. And so our sight and our hearing and our taste and all those other things from a survival perspective are now heightened. It's no wonder that Jacob does this move where he splits the kingdom into two. This irrational thinking of half of a kingdom is better than none, despite the promise of God, despite what's going on. This is the way that I'm going to do things. And so Esau, coming on in with his 400 highly trained Warrior men starts to create a fear mentality in Jacob. Advantage Esau. And so Jacob, despite having resorted to a, a human thinking, as the fear comes closer, he does something. Hedges another bet. He drops to his knees and he cries out and he prays to his God. He says this, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. 
I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me. And also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Sometimes we know the promise, right? We know the promise of life and life in abundance in our own life. But our fear of this world is crippling and it paralyzes us. Even in Jacob's prayer here, he knows the promise of God, the sustaining promise of God. And yet, he's not sure. Is it a sign of a lack of faith from Jacob? Is it a sign of a lack of faith that he divided the kingdom, that he bowed down and he prayed? Is it a sign that he did one more thing to try in his humanness to break down this barrier? So what does he do? Well, he decides, I know, I'll appease him with a gift before he even arrives. I'm going to send out herds of animals and give them over. Give them over to Esau and that'll make him happy. So he sends off 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels and their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys, all in separate groups off as gifts, peace offerings, if you will, for the problem that is. Now I did some quick maths. No, actually somebody else did some quick maths on this for me. And I just want to say that this is pre-COVID inflation prices on animals, right? Okay, 20 female goats, 32 grand, blah, blah, blah. The thing that you might be surprised by, 30 camels and their young, 10 grand a pop for the, male, uh, for the adults, say five grand each for the, the young with them, $450,000 worth of camels. Interesting side note. While I was Google searching if that was actually true, there was a calculator the first result in the suggestions. How much is your girlfriend worth in camels? So like any self-restraint male, I thought I've got to find this out. And I clicked on this and it went through a whole heap of criteria, age, you know, build, all those sorts of things. Sixty-four camels for me. 64 camels, that's nearly a million bucks, pre-COVID inflation. And then I did some more digging. 10,000 bucks for a camel, that's not much. There were some camels that sold for $45,000 a head the other week. That's a lot of money. That's a massive gift. So was he scared? What was his situation? Why did Jacob give all of these gifts when he knew that the Lord was with him? He knew the promise of God. I want to tell you that fear makes us do irrational things. 
But also, Jacob's heart was changed. You see, no longer was Jacob out for Jacob. Jacob had been blessed by God. And now he wanted to bless others around him. The question was, was he going to stay faithful to God? And we see the next thing that happens in this passage was that Jacob literally wrestled with God. That night, Jacob got up and took two of his wives, two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions too. And so Jacob was left alone with a man who wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wretched and wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. I wonder if this was a test from God. Because to this point, Jacob had hedged his bets, separated out everything, prayed, sent off the gifts. I wonder if this was a test from God that said, you know what, Jacob, I know that you know the promise that I've given you, but are you really going to be faithful to me? Are you going to cling to your faith? Are you going to wrestle with your faith through the tough times, through the different situations and circumstances you find yourself in? Or are you going to keep hedging your bets? And here Jacob holds on. He holds on to the man. He wrestles with him to daybreak. And he confronts his failures. He confronts his weaknesses. He confronts the sin in his life and the hurt and the pain and all the things in that wrestle with God. And he comes out victorious from this. And it should encourage us because despite our past, despite the works and the things that we do, despite our fighting with God, trying to understand the circumstances and everything, what we see here is that God is good and faithful and worth holding on to. He is love. He is life. He is our Saviour. And Jacob wrestles to hold on to his faith. But he does, he holds on to God. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He holds on to God. And so Jacob is blessed. The man asked him, what is your name, Jacob? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. One final test. Esau and his 400 men coming in. If anything, if you're anything like me, you can kind of picture these 400 men in lines walking like there's a massive army out in front. Intimidating, all right. But the preparation has been done. His faith has been tested. 
And then we come to this space where there is the most beautiful reunion. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And they wept. Restoration. Reconciliation. Reunion. Despite all the fear, despite all the things that Jacob in his humanness had put in place, I bet that was not the reception that he expected. The gifts. Well, Esau didn't need them. And after an exchange, he took them. And you know what Jacob's response to this situation was? For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamer, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. His response was worship. What is your response? What is your response when God moves in your life? Is it to take that and own it in our own humanness and say, because I divided my kingdom, this is the result? Or because I did these works, I gave these gifts, I did all of this in my life, it worked? Or is it because God is good and God is faithful and He has moved, I will worship? I will worship. And so what are the hard lessons? Well, the first one, God is greater than our fear. He is much bigger than it. In 1 John 4, he says, there is no fear in love. And God is love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We are made perfect in love. The blood of Jesus has been still. We can be reconciled to God who is love because he loved us first. God is greater than our fear. We don't need to live in fear. We can hold on to the promise of God. The second one, restoration is God's business. It's literally what God is about. Restoring us, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why did Christ die for us? Because He wanted us to be restored in relationship with Him. Romans 10.9, if you confess 
with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. 1 John 3, 1. How good is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. We are children of God. We are restored in relationship with God. Restoration is God's business, and he wants to restore us today. The third, perhaps hard truth for us to learn is that humility is the starting point. Jacob realized Jacob's heart was changed. Even in that meeting, Jacob refers to Esau as Lord and himself as servant. Yet he was the one in the power move. Jacob bows down to Esau. Humility is a starting point. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Wow. If only we would humble ourselves. The fourth point is worship always. I want to read to you Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastures. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Give thanks to the Lord. Praise his holy name. God is faithful to us. If that's not something to worship God about, then I don't know what is. Worship always. And the final thing is that God is always faithful. He is always faithful. We've had the promise from Abraham shared to us a number of times, passed down to Isaac, now on to Jacob. We see God's faithfulness passed down generation to generation. God is always faithful and he will do what he says he's going to do. And so if he declares that if we will declare with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus was raised from the dead, that we will be saved, we can hold that promise because he is faithful always. These are the lessons, the hard lessons perhaps, the lessons that we should know but perhaps need to be refreshed in, in our lives 
today. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for your goodness and your love and your grace and your mercy that you pour out on us. And even in our humanness, God, you are so faithful. You love us immeasurably. And so, God, we worship you. We praise you. We honour you. We glorify you. Lord, we humble ourselves before you in your presence. For you are so holy. God, we thank you that restoration is in your DNA. That you are bringing us back into relationship with you daily from the things that we do wrong. The times when we think our humanness is better than your godness. We thank you that you restore us. And God, we thank you that you are greater than our humanness, that you are greater than our fear, that you are greater than our circumstance, that you are greater than everything that we are going through right now and that you love us so, so much. So God, help us. Help us to live faithfully the way that you call us to live. Help us to be your people and help us to declare your victory. You are so good to us and we live in the freedom that you offer. 